0: The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapepe on SAFM. Good evening, Judge Albie Sachs. How are you?
1: I'm very, very, very well, thank you.
0: It's not often you would say very, very, very well. What is keeping your tail up?
1: Um, I'm interested to know who is this Albie Sachs you're talking about so much maybe i'll discover it
0: <laughs> okay let's start let's start where it hopefully for the most part does start born in johannesburg you're an immigrant through your parents anyway from lithuania just like the former communist um member in joe slovo who became very prominent in the movement in the anti-apartheid struggle in many ways somewhat a contemporary of yours albeit for following different parts. You come to the country, as a 20-year-old, you are in a mass meeting, you are moved by the speaker, you say you want to join, you are told you can't join, you ask why, you are told because you're white, and then you are in response saying, but we are fighting racism, and you are now agitating to join. For the most part, that's where the political stroke judicial legacy of Albi Sachs starts. Would that be a fair comment, or does it start even before then?
1: It starts before then. I was born and in, in the Florence Nightingale Hospital in Johannesburg. Uh, my mother came as a six-month-old child uh, from Lithuania, fleeing the pogroms. The Jews used to be massacred there. Uh, uh, every Easter time, Cossacks would ride into the villages and say, the Jews killed Christ, we're going to kill the Jews, and... and my grandparents and others would flee into the forests and, and, and into basement buildings and so on. So they wanted to escape and they came to South Africa with my baby, my mother then then as a baby. And she grew up with very radical views. She want, she said, this world is unjust, it's unfair. Uh, and she became, she would say to me and my, my little brother, uh, tidy up, tidy up, Uncle Moses is coming. And Uncle Moses wasn't Moses Levine or Moses Kantarovich. it was Moses Kortani, uh, the General Secretary of the Communist Party, and she was his typist. And so I I grew up in in a family where an African man was, if you like, the center of decision-making, a person of of immense pride and authority. Uh, My mother had enormous respect for him. That was normal for me. Mm. And that racist world outside was just kind of abnormal. So, in a sense, uh, it, it meant I grew up possibly one of the most privileged people in the whole world. Privilege given to me by my white skin, whether I wanted it or not. Mm. The privilege of belonging to a freedom movement, a freedom struggle, so that the whiteness didn't become a trap that destroyed my humanity and, and, and my heart. I was actually 17, a second-year law student, when I, uh, 1952, 6th of April, the centenary of the landing of a certain van Rebic in what became Cape Town. And the whites are celebrating like crazy, airplanes overhead, armored cars through the streets, 300 years of what they called white civilization. And the word apartheid had just come into the English language. The National Party government been in power since 1948. They're celebrating and there may be 200 of us in a little hall in Salt River overwhelmingly black, maybe five or ten whites, and, and the freedom songs are being sung. Africa. And then the Africa. sopranos join in, and this white guy is totally, totally moved, and, and by the spirituality and the emotion, and suddenly it's Dr. Morocco, Dr. Dadu, J.D. Marks, Patanileva Papi. Volunteers obey the order to be ready to, And they're calling for volunteers, and I want to volunteer. And that's when the dialogue you mentioned takes place. And in the end, Whoopi Kodesh with his name. He says, look, if you're serious, I'll send your name forward uh, to the headquarters in Johannesburg. And six months later, age 17, I'm leading a group of young whites into the general post office in Cape Town, to sit on seats marked non-whites andy so that was my initiation if you like into political activity not as a lawyer upholding the law but as a law student defying the law <laughs> and the person who set the terrible example for me was a certain nelson mandela also a lawyer breaking the law and he was volunteer number one i was volunteer number eight thousand nine hundred forty-two or something And I sometimes ask the question, what's the one good thing that apartheid did? And people start getting along. What's he going to say? I said it created anti-apartheid. I would never have met Mandela. I'd never have been involved in the freedom struggle if it hadn't been for apartheid. So it created its opposite. And in a sense, the opposite isn't simply to do away with something. It's to transform something negative into something positive. It's to learn from the fight against injustice. Uh, it's to learn that human solidarity across these awful divisions imposed upon us. It's to learn respect for the culture and ways of doing things of others. It's to learn to get out of your own tight, white skin and to move in the street and, 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 and to sing uh, and, and, and to connect up in ways that, that, that you haven't done. So that was another kind of a privilege for me. Uh, not only being in the struggle, but the privilege later on, later on, later on, and you might want a few more details in between, to help write your country's constitution. How many lawyers can say that? Very few. (laughs) And if that's not enough, to then be on the court that's now applying that constitution. And if that's even not enough, in terms of privilege, to help conceive of a beautiful building on Constitution Hill, the site where people were locked up, where Gandhi was locked up, and Mandela, and Robertson Bokwe, and, and, and Mama Mandela, and, and Fatih Mamir, and so many others were locked up. That's where we have the Constitutional Court today. So, in a sense, although I've been blown up and thrown into solitary confinement mm-hmm. and talked about street deprivation, I feel I've had an exceptionally privileged life because of this extraordinary conjunction uh, of factors.
0: I asked one question, and that's what you get from a judge. So, if you don't believe me, now is as good a time to call and ask your question. You really will be out of time if you're going to think of calling at 25 past. Judge Albie Sachs, retired judge, author, human rights activist, now turned radio man. Hashtag Tuesday Takeover here on SAFM Viewpoint with me. Song is on my there. Judge John Lewis said, on the other side of the Atlantic, in more or less the same period, you're talking about mid-50s to late 50s, in the early 60s, certainly in the height of the civil rights in the United States. Never be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble. Necessary trouble. You're a law student. You're white. You're 17. You are defying the laws that you're supposed to be looking to apply in the very near future from then. That sort of trouble that you were courting could have gotten you killed as early as a 17-year-old, and it nearly did in Mozambique in 88.
1: That's a statement or a question? A question,
0: statement, both, comment.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, in in fifty two, it wasn't nearly being killed. Uh, you know, those days, at least we could protest. Uh, we, we could meet in front of the city hall, Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Uh, we could campaign, we could sell newspapers. We could dream about a trained South Africa. What was important in Africa countries were beginning now to become independent. And we were kind of excited and buoyed up by that. That set, the, the decade of the 50s it was a decade of drum magazine, a decade of ping Kong musical, uh, a decade of, of great energy and the Defiance Campaign, the Congress of the People, the Treason Trial, which was a total disaster for the state. Um, we were very, very buoyant then, but after the Sharpeville massacre, It was we were being crushed, driven underground. We couldn't even protest. We couldn't even say things were bad. Our leaders were locked up. People were being killed. Some of our leaders were being executed. A very, very, very hard decade. And I'm thrown into prison a couple of times myself. Uh, And, and, you know, I've started singing. Uh, One of the things that kept me going in solitary confinement is no charge, no lawyers. You just locked up until you answer their questions and, and you held in in a concrete cube. Nothing to do, no one to speak to. You stared at the close the wall, close the wall. It's for 90 days and three minutes of pause. So I would make up uh, songs and I would go through the alphabet and, and I would start with always. Because Charmaine, Daisy, I treated a little bit with X, so deep in the heart of Texas anything to save myself from getting mad and and my favorite was always and there was a beautiful song by Irving Berlin to his wife uh, an American uh, uh, composer uh, always I'll be loving you always with the love that's true always and it was picked up in the West End in London for a a play by Noel Coward up middle class manners uh, called Blythe Spirit And now I'm singing to myself, I'll be living here, always, year after year, always, in this little cell that I know so well, I'll be doing, living swell, always, always, I'll be staying in, always. And I'm waltzing around and use that, this song of upper middle class manners, is keeping the revolutionary spirit alive. Keeping up my chin always, not for but an hour, not for but a week, not for ninety days, but always. And I'm singing it on radio now because whenever I'm giving a serious lecture and there are lots of judges in the audience, mm. part of me is very cheeky and, and irreverent and defiant. I'll sing that song because judges normally don't sing in public. Uh, we appreciate and I'll sing that, that song.
0: Always. We certainly do appreciate your singing of the beautiful hymn or song as rend, rendered by you always. You know, you're taking me back to sometime late last year when there was a Gogo, G65, who at the ripe old age of 65 released a single. I'd be more than happy to be the one who would have launched your singing career, Mkulu, at 86. <laughs> M86, Judge LB Sachs returns after the very short break, everybody. We already have two calls. Please do call. This is the Tuesday takeover and in just shy of 10 Ten minutes from now, Judge Albie Sachs will have the platform all to himself to engage the guest that he has so chosen that he will tell you more about. So after the break, we're taking two calls, one from Jay, one from Anonymous, both in KZN. I'd be more than happy to take another two or so calls. Johannesburg, 714-2006. That's the number to dial. Please do it after the break We worth the calls. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Songhe Somapepe on, on SAFM. Good evening, Jay in Durbin.
2: Thanks you, my wonderful presenter. You definitely picked the lovely and very valuable topics and iconic uh, personalities. And I must greet you uh, in the African language, both your uh, guests and you as Sambonani, um, Salbona, to the judge. sir. Uh, congratulations, I must say. You must make a recording of that uh, singing of yours. Put it on CD. It will be so valuable for our future generation. You know, um, it is so sad to hear what they had to endure. As a little child, I, the fear and memory of what we went through uh, at the hands of the apartheid government, you know the African and the Indian community were so close; we never had a, a separation. According to what my dad used to talk about, the apartheid government to cause this friction and breakup between the Indians and Africans, they set the Africans against the Indians to burn down the houses and practically like slaughter them. My dad was working with Baker's, Mr. Bond, the director and uh, owner of Baker's uh, uh, Bread. You know, he was such a wonderful man, so bonding as his name, we can uh, iconically call it. He loaded the Indians into the back of the delivery van and got an African driver to deliver them home safely. Uh, at the age of maybe three or four, I think I would have lost my dad a long time ago. They sabotaged my father's workshop. He was the first Indian in South Africa to receive a, fire, a license that covered entire from motor industry to every kind of a steel. Thing. The Papi government was so critical and jealous about the old thing. They removed my dad and mom and the rest of our family from the cottage that we lived yeah, in. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, the moment we used to see a brown uniform person, we used to just. Okay, I'm up. going
1: to interrupt you. I'm going Sorry? to interrupt you to say you bring back very really strong memories of the unity between African people, Indian people in the struggle. In Mozambique, where I was blown up, my two greatest friends were Indus Naidu and Alpheus Mangherzi. And we were so closely together. And when Ruth first was buried, uh, we carried, the three of us, were four of the people who carried a coffin. Uh, and, and it's a great sadness that some of the unity that is established in the struggle days doesn't seem to exist uh, to the same extent before when so many people are just going ahead, uh, advancing their own lives. Uh, anyhow, Songhezi, do you want to uh, carry on?
0: Yeah, sure. We appreciate that beautiful recount there. We have another guest on the line. Let's go to Still KZN Anonymous. Uh,
1: good day,
3: good evening to you, Sangezo. I'm your guest as well. I just—I've uh, got a paper in front of me. It was—it's uh, called the Opinion in January 2001. Uh, it's got all the you know the icons here on this particular paper. It's uh, printed in isiZulu and also in English, but I can't find the English version right now. I'm just asking. I just—I want to ask a question. I see a little uh, toy doing, you know, with play cards uh, by uh, L.B., uh, the judge L.B. Sachs, L.B. Sachs, uh, uh, you know, um, cardholders or representatives. Uh, and I want, just want to ask, what's it all about? But I know it's, the paper is all about racism and poverty and apartheid uh, coffin, you know, spear of the uh, nation's apartheid coffin. And it's got here, yeah, who tried LBFx? Bombings, uh, uh, t- bombings, two wrongs don't make a right. You know, these are on the play card. Essays stay out of neighboring states, you know, and a whole other thing. So I just want to inquire if he can brief us. Sure. Um, on that particular issue. This
0: is January two thousand and one. The newspaper you're referring to is that right? It's
3: January two thousand and one, and it was so advertised much. in the opinion.
0: Thank you very much. We're going to note that question as we move on to Scully in Durban, Patrick in King Williamstown, final caller Tart or in Grahamstown. Scully.
2: Good evening to you, Saint-Gazzo. Um I'm a, I'm really honoured, double honoured for, for for to to, to greet Delby Sachs. Good evening to you, sir.
1: Um, Good evening. Um,
2: um, my take is, uh, uh, there's a lot, uh, I mean, listen, uh, just the thing is missing, or, or it must be done, must be done, a film of L.B. Sachs and, and the history, you know, for our future. Uh, there must be a film of the life of L.B. Sachs, Judge L.B. Sachs. And it's through him we are here probably, you know. He is one of them. Fantastic! Thank you, thank you much. Appreciated this, darling.
0: Take care. Good evening. Let's go to Ekong, oh, Patrick. Ekong, oh, Patrick. Let's go to Emakanda Tato. Yes. How are you, sir? Well, sir. Go for it. I think probably on behalf of the nation, we must extend a sincere note of thanks to that man. You know, sacrificing his life. And making that prophetic stance at 17 to fight against the oppressive government, especially in the 1950s, I think it's quite, it's quite commendable. Being white, being privileged, but taking that position against the apartheid government, uh, there's not much. I mean, he tells beautiful stories, but I think from my side, um, thank you, thank you, thank you. And on behalf, I think, of people of Soweto and the rest of South Africa, thank you, thank you, thank you. Much appreciated, yeah, title, short and sweet. Judge, how do you respond to Anonymous January 2001? Were you picketing and doing what you do best, as from a 17-year-old? And the film, I know there is a film that was commissioned, I think, by the Ford Foundation some eight or so years ago. Talk to us about those two issues, please.
1: Yes, a film has been made in my life. It's called Soft Vengeance, uh, L.B. Saxon, in the New South Africa and it actually won the Peabody Award in the United States for the best documentary uh, for, for that year. Uh, and, and it was wonderful having a chance to tell my story, but also the stories of so many others. Uh, I'm not short of, of speaking about myself. And there's lots to be written about me. Uh, what we're really keen now is to get the stories of the thousands and thousands and millions of ordinary people whose stories are not known but whose role was very, very, very big. Uh, I, I've just had a most extraordinary, wonderful life. And and um, uh, so, so, you know, I don't even like this term icon. Uh, I say icon-a icon uh, icon. I'm an iconoclast. <laughs> so I break down icons. Um, it, it's, I think there's more value in in not cost up icons, but in enabling ordinary people who've got beautiful qualities and done wonderful things in the struggle, in the arts, uh, in, in science, in medicine, in healing, in sports, whatever it might be. Uh, my, my interest goes in, in that way. It's not out of modesty, I'm as vain as the next person. It's out of the shared joy of being part and parcel of a wider community.
0: Final question, Judge, before we leave you to it to take over the show. A little birdie tells me something important is happening on Thursday in recognition of 25 years since the adoption of the Constitution. Comment on that.
1: Well, it's going to be a round table. Nothing sounds more boring than a round table. But it's a round table based on Constitution Hill. And that's an astonishing place, that place of of terror, of oppression, of number four prison, uh, solitary confinement, lots of tortures, the Towser dance, humiliation. It's now the place, the Constitutional Court, on that same day, one of the most important cases in our, our country's history, is going to be heard on that court, on that site, in the most beautiful building that's there. In it, our round table, will be discussing the whole question of the rule of law, the politics of the rule of law. What does it mean? What does it mean in South Africa today? Where does it come from? How did we have rule by law, the law being used to oppress the people, how can we ensure that the law is now used to maintain the basic rights of the people? And, and uh, my former colleague, uh, Kato Regan, will be there. Uh, Professor Zozo from Pretoria University, uh, she'll be participating. Uh, and and uh, Luan Dugato will be one of the people introducing the Nelson Mandela Foundation. is helping us with the technical side. I don't know how it's going to be, but i tell you what is important. We have a most brilliant, brilliant anchor, and his name happens <laughs> to be Song Gezog. And it's really, I'm putting the pressure on you, Song Gezog, uh, to make sure that this first round table really sparkles.
0: I certainly will do my best, Judge, but enough about me. I really do not want to aggrandize. We have a guest who's going to take over, and it's the irreverent, the one and only man of great reputation the world over. He, at 17, fought the system. At 86, he is still going strong, contributing as he has always been to the betterment of society. After the ad break, everybody please welcome Justice Albert Louis Sachs. He will be taking over.